This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. I think people underestimate how little we use our hands in our daily work. For most of us, we're really just using our brains and staring at a screen. And when you come home after doing that for all day, there's very few other things that is as satisfying as getting your hands on food and and using your hands and and all of your senses really to make this really delicious meal that that you can be proud of then at the end. It's it's really like a, you know, transformative chemistry experiment, but then you get to eat it at the end, right? Like it tastes delicious. And so it's it's so rewarding and nourishing and like, you know, really a, such a sensory experience that it helps to break up a monotonous day. That's Dr. Nate Wood. He's a resident physician, trained chef, health media expert, and MTV Music Video award-winning musician. Hello, Nate, and welcome to the show. Hi, Mary. Thank you for having me. So I want to kind of get into um, some of the food talk yeah. and talk about yourself. So when did you start cooking and what inspired you to become a chef? Yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up and I kind of grew up in this family where food was always a priority. And I didn't realize how abnormally so that was the case until I got older. Um, you know, we, I just grew up in this family where where all of our dinners uh, were homemade and we had a, a big garden in the back that all of us kids would work in with you know, with our parents and we grew cantaloupe and and watermelon and corn and pumpkins and squash and green beans and tomatoes, you name it, you know, and, and, and both of my parents' parents. Oh, it was amazing. It really was. Um, So we had fresh food all the time. We would go to the the farmer's market every fall and late summer and um, for the peaches and the the tomatoes. And we'd go to the apple farms, um, the apple orchards, I should say, to pick apples when uh, around my birthday uh, in the fall. And I just have all these really good memories of us going out of our way, basically, and putting in this extra effort to get really good food because it's worth it, you know, and and that was always clear that that was a priority in our family. And, And both my parents cooked, actually. So you know, when growing up, when I was a young kid into elementary school, my mom stayed home, my dad was at work. And then when I was in middle school, they flipped. And so my mom went to work and my dad stayed at home. So I got to see both parents in the kitchen cooking, you know, meals and, and, and very different cooks, but both really good, um, really competent and, uh, you know, had a really good sense of flavor. And we're, we're always putting delicious home cooked food on the table. So again, from a very young age was seeing this modeled for me and was really involved in the kitchen. You know, I, I remember that we were we were baking from a very young age. There's all these pictures of, of my siblings and I standing on chairs next to my mom, you know, with the electric mixer making brownies and cakes and stuff. And, you know, I think that's how you really get kids into cooking is by giving them this very specific recipe where you measure everything exactly. And, and that's a that's a great way to start. And I don't know about you, but that's not <laughs> at all how I cook anymore. Um, you know, I, I'm much more about the mm-hmm. feel than the, the measuring. But um, you know, so got started with baking that way and that kind of grew into cooking and, and really was, was cooking quite a bit already, um, by the end of middle school. And then, uh, uh, much more so in high school was, was doing a lot of the cooking for our family at home. But, you know, I, I, I always thought food was just a hobby. Um, you know, I had always wanted to become a doctor and had kind of gone down that path and really loved what I was learning about in medical school. But at the same time, 
could feel, you know, I remember being in anatomy, uh, like the cadaver lab, basically, and, and working there all day, but really just thinking about going home and making like a cocoa van, you know, <laughs> like, my mind was mm-hmm. just simultaneously occupied with what I was going to cook when I go to ho- when I went home and, and what I was going to buy at the grocery store and what I was going to serve my friends over the weekend. And that occupied so much of my mind that I, you know, kind of came to realize the intersection between food and medicine and how I couldn't just focus on medicine and leave my passion for food behind that I had to find a way to combine them and that I really needed more training in the food uh, side of things in order to be able to do that. So after a couple of years in medical school, I snuck away to culinary school and uh, wouldn't, it was the best decision I ever made. That's incredible. And, and what would you say is your favorite thing about cooking? I think people underestimate how little we use our hands in our daily work. So, you know, for me, I I spend a lot of time using my brain. I spend a lot of time typing, Um, you know, and I think a lot of Americans and, you know, people up north too, sorry, Canadians also uh, spend their lives doing that, you know, because that's the work we do. We sit in cubicles and, you know, luckily I I get to move from room to room and, and speak with different patients and, you know, you know, actually do physical exam and and use my hands in other ways. But for most of us, we're really just using our brains and staring at a screen. And when you come home after doing that for all day, there's very few other things that is as satisfying as getting your hands on food and, and using your hands. And, and all of your senses really to make this really delicious meal that, that you can be proud of then at the end, it's, it's really like a, you know, transformative chemistry experiment, but then you get to eat it at the end, right? Like it tastes delicious. And so it's, it's so rewarding and nourishing and like, you know, a really, a, um, uh, such a sensory experience that, uh, you know, I just always loved that. And, uh, it helps to break up a monotonous day for sure. So if you had to describe your cooking style, then what would that be? Yeah, you know, I, I went to culinary school. So, you know, I guess I'll call myself a chef, but I, I really think of myself more as a home cook. So like, I'm not doing sous vide, like I'm not cooking like crazy long recipes with a million different steps and 3000 ingredients. My favorite kind of food is stuff that involves like a few vegetables you may have to pick up at the store and then mostly just stuff you have in your pantry. So lots of grains, um, you know, like beans and, and, and other things that you have just lying around. Um, and then you can kind of just, you know, come home at the end of the day, you haven't planned anything, but you're like, Oh, what could I whip up? You know, and then you throw some of that stuff together. And so that to me is, is much more exciting than planning out multi, you know, multi, day recipes that are super involved. So th- my, my approach to cooking is like, keep it casual and, you know, focus on, on, on health and flavor and, and leave the complicated recipes for the restaurants. See, and I love that because to me, when you cook that way, it reminds me of home, simple moments, moments that were created through joy, cooking these simple meals, yet so tasty. Right. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's more spontaneous that way, right? You're, you're kind of inspired or something sounds really good. And without any foreplanning, like, bam, you can make it right then and there, you know? So like you said, it, it really does allow for that. So I like to play games. Are you up for a game of this or that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. This one's difficult. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. That one's actually not as difficult as you'd think. I love, love, love pizza. That's my favorite food. Um, and pasta is, uh, it, yeah, it, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I wish you could to... see my face right now. I'm picking up my jaw right off the desk. I know people are going to come at me, but I, I love bread. And I feel like, you know, I want my bread to not be like boiled. So I prefer bread over pasta. <laughs> pizza okay, all the way. So, pizza all the way. Wine, red or white? 
Red, yeah. I, I like both, but red. Nice caps off for sure. Okay, and last, coffee or tea? Coffee, definitely a coffee person. Tea just doesn't get me there, but twice a day coffee is, is uh, my jam. And then, a little, and then a little dessert also. <laughs> that chocolate dip donut. <laughs> Something a little sweet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's how we're going to finish it. <laughs> Delicious. I won't tell. Now, you mentioned briefly that you've worked in TV. And you have, you've produced, you've cooked and chatted with some of TV's most beloved hosts, <laughs> uh, like Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, Martha Stewart, Bobby Flay, and the list goes on. But is this something, did you always want to work in TV? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that. Um, no, is the answer. Yeah, I always wanted to be a doctor. And then I realized I really liked food and I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to work with food. And that's kind of all I knew for a long time. And then I remember actually mm-hmm. in college, we were doing an icebreaker and someone, uh, the icebreaker question was everyone go around and say, you know, like if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? And I had, I guess, not really fully thought about that question yet. You know, just like if, if, if time didn't matter, if money didn't matter, if you had the opportunity to do anything you wanted, what would you do? And I, I wouldn't say this is my top level goal now, but my top level goal at the time was to have like a, to, to cook on the food network basically. And I, I thought that I had, I had seen Rachel Ray, you know, like teach me so much about cooking through, through her show and, and so many of these other people that you mentioned. So I had such great respect for their ability to connect with viewers, teach them how to cook and really transfer to them through television, this incredibly important life skill. Um, and I, I was so in awe of their ability to do that and to make it fun. Like I didn't feel like I was in a class learning, but I was, you know, it just happened to be so fun the way that they conveyed it. So um, that really sparked when I had to go and do that, that um, icebreaker, I, as I said that I was like, oh man, like I should, I should think about this a little more, you know, and kind of really took off with pursuing that dream a little bit more and seeing if that was really something I would be interested in, in working in TV. I love it. And are there any um, favorite dishes that you like to cook? So something that, you know, was kind of a go-to. Yeah. Yeah. One of my first, um, you know, the, the first time I cooked on TV, I made this dish that I had kind of fallen in love with and, and, and really had been obsessively making at home, you know, for months. And that ended up being the first thing I, I ever cooked on TV. And that was shakshuka. Have you ever had shakshuka? Mm-hmm. Uh, delicious. It's funny because we didn't call it that. We grew up with that. And my parents would make it all the time. Oh, It was to use up any leftover tomato sauce because we always had like sugo sundaes, which is like the sauce, tomato sauce sundaes, where we'd have pasta and, and meatballs and all that good stuff. And mm. any sauce that was left over, we would use it to make shakshuka. Oh. But we didn't call it that. What'd you call it? I knew you were going to ask. I kind of set myself up for that. Now I can't remember what we called it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. You're going to have to phone a friend here. <laughs> yeah, um, it's deli- it's delicious. I think for those who know it, they know how good it is. But for a lot of people, they've never heard of it, right? But it's it's so mm-hmm. easy and so delicious and so healthy and so cheap. It's just like the, you know, all the best things combined. It's, you know, as you know, but for, for the listeners out there, it's like a delicious combination of, you know, tomato sauce and, um, you know, generally like some onions and some red peppers. And then you kind of cook it down into this beautiful sauce with like lots of nice spices. You drop in some eggs, you, you shove it in the oven for a few minutes and then you just eat it with, uh, you know, I like to eat it with like pita or like toasted whole grain bread. It's it, like I said, so easy and so delicious. So that's, that's one of my go-tos for sure. Are there any favorite food publications or websites that you like to read and go to? 
Oh, that's a fantastic question. Yeah, I love New York Times cooking. Um, fantastic recipes, I think. So do I. Right, it's it's addicting. Food Fifty Two has really great stuff. I've really their their photography and their whole ethos is is fantastic and really fantastic recipes. Allison Roman, I have been a fan for a long time. Went to, yeah, love love her and her cookbooks. Um, and she cooks, you know, in a similar way, kind of just like this unpretentious but very fun and delicious uh, pantry forward food with a lot of vegetables. So I've always really liked her. And so I I would say those are my go to. But I I'm really uh, an equal opportunity recipe finder. So I'll I'll kind of get this idea for like a a flavor combo that I want, you know, I'll be like, Oh, I have some sun-dried tomatoes and some Kalamata olives. Like, and I would kind of like to make something with this protein or this grain, like featuring those ingredients. So I'll do a quick Google search and then go through, you know, random people's blogs and end up on various different websites and end up making some modifications, but whatever looks good, I'm willing to try it. Okay. Tell the truth. Do you hit a Pinterest? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't hit up Pinterest. You know, that's probably a big untapped, a source of recipes. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with resident physician, trained chef, Dr. Nate Wood. I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa, which affects my sight. And you also have a condition, and it's called... Now, we're going to try this. I've been practicing. Ooh, let's go. I believe in you. Anosmia? Anosmia. So close. <laughs> Anosmia. Anosmia. <laughs> Anosmia. Anosmia, exactly. <laughs> okay, so what is it and, and when did you first discover that you had this condition? Yeah, this is not something I, I usually talk about because it really, um, people don't know what to make of it. So, but it's the truth. I, so mm -hmm. I have this condition called anosmia, which means I have no sense of smell actually. And you can imagine as a chef, how, how difficult that is. Um, and that has not always been the case actually. So I used to have a totally normal sense of smell. And then how it was described to be by my ears, nose, throat doctor is as I grew older, kind of these passageways connecting my nose to the nerves that come out of my brain that sense smell, those passageways didn't really grow as I did. So they weren't getting enough stimulation, those <clears throat> nerves. And so they slowly became less good at being able to smell. But then kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was I had this really awful sinus infection when I was about 16. Um, I was in high school and I have not smelled anything since. So I lost my sense of smell. That was, that was about 13 years ago. Um, and so I went to the doctor after that and I said, Hey, listen, I, you know, I, I can't smell anything. It's been not that great for, for years, but now I just really can't smell anything. And He's like, well, I, I don't think there's much we can do, um, but we can try to, you know, open up those passageways that he said were too small. And he said, you know, we'll see within six months, maybe your sense of smell will come back. And so I had that surgery and that was, you know, 12 years ago and, and still haven't been able to smell anything. So that's, that's been, you know, that's been a, a big thing in my life, especially, you know, given my career as both as chef and a doctor, it's, it's been uh, a big thing, really impactful. And I would imagine, I mean, are there any other senses that were affected by it. So like, does food taste different? Yeah, that's always the question that comes after. And the, the short answer is, I don't know. Um, my doctor told me I probably taste things like you would taste when you have a cold. I don't think that's true, but I can't prove it. Um, you know, our, our tongue is more responsible 
for taste. And then our nose helps us to really appreciate flavor. And so like the five basic tastes, I am confident that I can, you know, appreciate quite well. And when I was in, when I was in culinary school, I thought, okay, you know, I, I, I'm going to make my sauces. I'm going to make this food and my, my, you know, chef instructors are going to be like, oh, this is disgusting. You know, don't you have any sense of smell? This does, you know, not nearly enough salt or way over salted or way too much of this or that. But I, I never really found that to be the case. So that was like a nice objective view from the outside that I, I was able to taste things and, and put them together in a way that was, you know, acceptable by a chef. So that was, um, I think, <laughs> nourishing for my ego. But the truth is, mm -hmm. I still, I don't think I appreciate flavor as much as everyone else does. Like the nuances of nutmeg and a pumpkin spice latte, or thinking about like the smokiness of a paprika. And I, I'm not sure that I'm fully able to appreciate those things. So I'm hoping to do in the, in the coming years, um, smell therapy, which I've only <laughs> recently really been learning about and seems to have some efficacy. So we'll see. Oh, that's interesting. Right. And like I mentioned, as a low vision cook, I, I've learned to make modifications while cooking to keep myself safe and to still be able to enjoy cooking a meal independently. What, if any, modifications or adjustments have you've had to make or have made? As soon as you kind of lose one of these senses, you have to kind of provide yourself with little cushions to, to make sure you don't overdo it in, in some way or yeah, to keep yourself safe. So um, yeah, in my case, I, I try not to, I'm, I'm very conscious about the level of salt that I use. Um, and so if anything, I try to under salt uh, things. Um, and when it comes to spices, um, I have to really think back to how I was cooking before I lost my sense of smell and how we were instructed to cook in school, you know? So sometimes I may taste a dish and I say to myself, I think this needs a little more cumin, but I've already added, you know, a teaspoon and a half. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, you know, like academically, I think I'm going to be pushing it if I add some more cumin. So then I'll kind of, um, you know, just try to be more conservative in that way and, and understand that, um, you know, even though I may like a little bit more, others can probably appreciate it more fully and it might, might be enough. So I, I'm just in general, a little bit more conservative with my seasoning, uh, seasoning. And I really do make use of uh, the tastes to their fullest extent um, as compared to flavors. So again, what I mean then is like, for instance, if I'm making lamb, I know that's going to go really well with rosemary and garlic. And I know approximately how much of those things to use, even though I don't necessarily trust my sense of flavor as much because I can't smell. Mm -hmm. But if you really focus on making sure there's enough acid, that there's enough spice, that there's enough salt, that there's, um, you know, sometimes an appropriate bitterness, thinking like a coffee crust or something, really focusing on those tastes, which I know I can appropriately assess, really leaning on those and then thinking more academically about how to incorporate flavor almost always yields a pretty good result, at least I think, but maybe I'm not a, you know, objective critic. So <laughs> that's my, that's my method. Tell me about a cherished food memory of yours. We all have them. And I mean, I can't believe how many I do have now <laughs> where you smell something or you hear something um, or you taste something and it takes you back to a moment in time that just fills you with joy. Is there one for you? I think, like you mentioned, there's so many, um, but when I think of, and probably it's because it was so early on in my, in my ability to remember things is I'm, one of my first memories. I feel like was uh, gathering at our grandparents' house for Thanksgiving, you know, a big thing here in the United mm -hmm. States. And uh, we used to make our own butter. And I remember as a kid, I thought that was 
so cool that you could take heavy cream and basically just like with enough muscle, turn that into butter. Um, and so that was something that I think my, my grandma and my mom really, you know, kind of were in charge of back in the day. And then they were showing it to me when I was this kid, little kid. And so I was probably four or five. Again, it was one of my first memories. And I remember being over at grandma's and, and kind of helping to make this butter and, you know, my arm got tired and I got bored, you know, and next thing I knew I came back to the kitchen and grandma was still working at it. And then there was butter in there. And, you know, to me, it was magic. And then, you know, we salted it and got to put it on fresh rolls that my mom had made. It was her, her grandmother's recipe. Um, and so that to me, so every time we have those rolls at Thanksgiving or, you know, every time I'm having homemade butter with delicious flaky sea salt, like that, it to me is that's Nirvana. So that's my, one of my most cherished food memories. As an adult, today in the city. I find that amazing to make your own butter. Now I want to do it. <laughs> right. It's, it's it's easier than you think, right? You just agitate some heavy cream and bam, there's butter. It's, it's really fun activity for kids to not that we should be teaching kids to eat butter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the food scene will be like in the next few years? Oh, what an interesting question. Yeah. It's been, I think both inspiring and really, you know, troubling and disheartening to watch what restaurants have done over the past couple of years, because they are not really establishments that I think are designed to adapt so quickly. Um, you know, I think restaurants have largely remained the same for hundreds or thousands of years, right? You sit down with people you love and you eat good food that's served to you and you pay and you leave. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, and so I think that was really flipped on its head during COVID. So it was really inspiring to see all these different ways that people adapted. I remember though on the opposite end of the spectrum, reading some really troubling op-eds and kind of, you know, confessionals about how it was to lead a restaurant that you cared so much about during the pandemic and having to shutter the doors Mm -hmm. and having the the community and the family that you had built around that good food kind of vanish before your eyes. Um, So that was really, I think, tough for a lot of us to read. And so I do look forward to the day that people are gathering again um, in restaurants at, at full speed and chefs are turning mm-hmm. out delicious food and people are sharing bottles of wine. Um, I'm sure there will be some changes, like some vestiges, uh, from the pandemic. And, you know, I think QR codes, they're going to be everywhere forever. So <laughs> those, uh, and I be do the, enjoy that though. Right. I don't mind it either. Honestly. Right. You get, especially if you're the kind of restaurant that's constantly changing your menu, you know, you don't have to print out all these papers and, you know, people can just see it on their phones. Or- from an accessibility feature, because a lot of smartphones have screen readers. So when you get the QR code pops, so the menu pops up on your screen, we don't have to fuss and look for our classes or not many restaurants have Braille menus. So it reads your screen. So you get to read the menu and you don't have to ask for help. Right. There's your independence again. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love that. Yeah, that's reason enough to do it. So I think those will stick around. Man, I, I, I'm... Just as curious, I think, as everyone else to see how things change. But once things are really back into the swing of things, I think there'll be QR codes, more outdoor seating. I think maybe you'll see smaller menus um, kind of persist where they really just focus on their best dishes instead of having like an eight page menu. Um, And I think I hope I hope people treat wait staff, uh, you know, in front of house staff better than we did before the pandemic and are still generous with their tips um, and are, are more you know, patient with the service because they're so stretched thin right now that I think if you're going out to eat and, and you're being anything but 
but pleasant and patient that you shouldn't be going out to eat. And I hope that that change in culture really persists after the pandemic too. I'm hopeful. I've got a couple more games. Are you up for it before we go? Oh, always. Okay. Rapid fire. Tell us one thing most people don't know about you. Oh, gosh. That's really tough. Um, uh, I was a linguistics major in undergrad. I guess I bet most people wouldn't know that. Oh, okay. Name one thing from your childhood that kids today wouldn't understand. (laughs) Kick the can. I actually played kick the can growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite ingredient to cook with? Garlic. Garlic. (laughs) Always. Whatever the recipe calls for, triple it. Yeah. If you could only save one thing in a fire, what would it be? I have a notebook where I do like all my musings and thoughts and where I write down, you know, my ideas. And I I would have to, I would grab that, you know, it's my brain on paper. So I'd I'd rush with that. If you weren't a chef slash doctor, what would you be? An architect. Mm. Um, (laughs) I love, I love architecture and uh, skyscrapers especially. So I'd probably, I'd probably try to work for a a firm building skyscrapers. Very exciting to me. If your fridge could talk, what would be the one word it would use to describe your snack choices? Man, I think if my fridge could talk, it would talk about how many condiments it's weighing down the door. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it would beg, like, more fruit. Uh, That's that's probably what it would scream at me. Um, Yeah, eat eat your apples, doc. (laughs) Finally, what is your kitchen confession? Oh, you ready, Mary? I'm ready. <laughs> like I, it's like I'm already I said, smiling. I heard this sigh. I'm like, okay. Uh, it's just, it's just like one of those things that you think, how much more basic could it get? But I just, I cannot, for the life of me, reliably cut an avocado without hurting myself. <laughs> so, I, I, I try my best. I've tried 3,000 different techniques. I've tried a million different knives, you know, and I was just like, am I the only one who cannot cut this very simple piece of produce? And then I think it was 2019, 2020, this paper came out that kind of took the medical community by storm, showing that in the past 20 years, there had been like 50,000 avocado injuries and they were like exponentially rising. And there was like, a you know, in the UK, these people were just like oh cutting their hands constantly with avocados. And no I thought, way. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> so many a time have I drawn blood just trying to get a pit of an avocado. So <laughs> there's got to be an easier oh way. I, I can't smell. Thank I can't cut that. avocados. World's best chef right here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Terrible. Oh, thank you Terrible. for that one. Yes. Oh, yeah, we do that what we can. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that at all. Uh, uh, I'll admit it. I'm not too ashamed. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. If listeners want to reach out, where can they find you? My Instagram. That's probably the best place to um, check out my stuff at Dr. Chef Nate, Dr. Chef Nate. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.